Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. This is TeacherCast podcast episode number 192. Today, we're talking all about math, fact, fluency, and why it is important for our students to have an exceptional math education as they go through their schooling ages. We have some great things going on today in TeacherCast. Welcome to 2019. It is so nice to have you guys here on the show. There's, of course, several great ways that you can reach out and be a part of this and all of our shows. You can find us on Twitter at TeacherCast. Leave us a voice message over at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail. And, of course, you can email us at feedback at TeacherCast.net. Guys, we love to hear from you guys, and we would love to invite you into the TeacherCast Insiders program. We just relaunched it right in time for 2019. Check out everything over at TeacherCast today. We've got a great year planned out, and we want to say thank you guys for making TeacherCast your home for professional development. I want to bring on our guests today. They are two authors of a brand new book that came out from ASED Publications called Math Fact Fluency. First, I want to bring on Miss Jennifer Bay Williams. Jen, how are you today? Welcome to the show. I'm great. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you so much. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been in um, mathematics teacher education for about 30 years, and I started as a middle school math teacher, and I ended up working a lot with teachers and later teachers. That is absolutely fantastic. I'm looking forward to everything that we're going to talk about with math. It is one of my absolute favorite subjects, and I also want to bring on your co-author for the book, Miss Gina Kling. Gina, how are you today? Welcome to the show. I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys for being here. Gina, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so I'm based out of Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I've been teaching for about 20 years. Um, work with pre-service teachers, um, teach math courses, and my favorite thing to do is to work with basic fact fluency. So I've done a lot of work with kids, teachers, um, and I also have worked on a textbook series. You know, I am so happy that you guys are on the show today. Of course, we're talking about your brand new book coming out here, Math Fact Fluency from ASCD Publications. Talk to us a little bit about the book. Gina, what can we find in it? So one thing that Jenny and I really um, feel passionately about when we work with teachers and students with basic fact fluency is that we want teachers to understand the, the theory and the research, but we also want things they can just take and use right in their classroom. So there's a real blend in the book of the background um, explanation of what fluency is, um, how kids progress through different phases to become fluent, and then there are a ton of games, um, a lot of different original games and some classic games so that kids can get meaningful practice with their basic facts, and then a lot of different assessment tools because that's one of the major things we've heard for years that teachers just really need more of. So we've got lots of different um, ideas in the book for, for both games and tools for assessing facts. And, you know, I was, I was flipping through some of the pages on the ASCD site, and I do like the fact that it's, it's, not a, it's not a lecture book. You've got a lot of stuff in here to help teachers learn the best ways of doing this. Who would you say is the audience for this book? Is it primary grades, secondary grades, a little bit of both? So our, our main audience, we were looking at um, primary grades and even into middle school. We definitely mm -hmm. had a real eye towards the needs of teachers doing remediation with fact work in middle school and even high school. We 
definitely geared it towards a teacher audience, but I wouldn't say it's beyond a parent audience as well. Um, because there are a lot of tools that'd be great in there, games that'd be great to use um, during the summer for fact practice with kids. So um, we really tried to make it a, a book that would be friendly to many different audiences. Well, I, I love that because here at TeacherCast, we have a variety of audiences. You know, my, my background is music education. So when I'm hearing things like fact fluency, I'm not sure what that means. Can you guys define the term fact fluency and what is that all about? So a lot of people think of fact fluency as just automaticity with the facts, being able to give a fact in a few seconds, but fluency is actually very importantly about strategy. So if you add nine plus six, that you understand that you could do that by thinking of 10 plus six and then take one away, or you could move one over from the six and think of it as 10 plus five. So these strategies become um, not just foundational to learning basic facts, but all math that comes later. So the fluency is really a focus on this foundational um, understanding of how numbers can be manipulated in order to solve problems efficiently. Now, in your book, you talk about the five fundamentals of fact fluency. Uh, could you, uh, let's kind of go down that list real quick here. What is one of the fundamentals of fact fluency? One, well, one fundamental of fluency has four components, not two. So people think of efficiency and, and accuracy, but they don't think about strategy use and flexibility. So fluency has four components. We say hashtag for fluency. Oh, we got hashtags in here. All right, uh, what, what, would it, what would another one be? Um, and so I think our second fundamental um, talks about the different phases that children progress through. So whether it be addition, subtraction, multiplication, or division, um, kids start off generally counting as their, their beginning process. Um, and it might be skip counting when they're third graders learning multiplication. We want them to progress to phase two where they're starting to use strategies. And that's where we really see that flexibility that Jenny was talking about, some efficiency develop, the appropriate strategy use. And then finally, once they've had enough experiences in phase two, they move to phase three. And that's where we see that automaticity piece. Research generally defines automaticity as within three seconds. So by the time they reach that mastery phase, phase three, we're seeing them produce facts within three seconds. One thing that's really important to recognize though is that within those three seconds, they may still be applying the same strategies that they were using before, they're just doing them highly efficiently. So phase three mastery is either recall or it could be highly efficient strategy use. When does all of this start to develop in students? I mean, I'm sitting here with, with five-year-olds and some of them are starting to do simple reading and simple math, and some of them haven't quite gotten there yet, but you know, I'm seeing their, their little brains start to fire off, and they are being able to count. And I'm starting to challenge them with simple, you know, two plus three, one plus two. If I've got two bananas and I take away one, what do I have? And of course, the answer is a hungry child. What, <laughs> what, when do we start to be, to be thinking about this stuff? Is, is this kindergarten age? Is this first grade? When should we really be doing math with our kids at a very primary level? Yeah, so definitely there needs to be preschool opportunities for early numeracy, just like there is early literacy. So thinking about um, how many and what is one more, what is one less, those kinds of relationships are something that doing with children before they enter kindergarten is really important. And then in kindergarten, they start thinking of number of relationships, what's one more, more formally, what's one less, and that one more, one less leads to, of course, what's six plus one, or what's four plus one, what's five minus one, and that really is the beginning of math 
exact fluency. At what point do we teach the kids to take off their shoes so they can get up to 20? Because, <laughs> I mean, we, we got 30 down pretty well. Like we, we can do 30, we can do 60, we can do all of those things here in the Edu Triplets house. But, but seriously, here, when we're looking at these different strategies, you know, clearly it's difficult to get students to understand the concepts and commit them to memory. I know we have a lot of parents that listen to this show. What are some of the things that parents can do at any grade level to assist in their students' math education? Because you find a lot of parents are, they are hands off because maybe they're not feeling comfortable themselves with some of the, even the higher level stuff that's out there. So the one thing that I would suggest is to move away from looking at a flashcard and trying to memorize that like five plus one is six. And instead just think of what is one more than five, like thinking of it quantitatively with actual objects, those relation numbers related to her are way of school readiness and in terms of um, just number sense that will help them be successful and confident in math and um, memorizing the facts, which is something we're trying to encourage teachers and parents to move away from. You know, I got to say, I absolutely agree with that. You know, being a former music teacher, Oh, I still said, I still saying that in 2019, former music teacher. I got to stop. I'm, I'm always feeling like a music teacher. But anyway, you know, we teach, we have different schools of teaching music, right? One school is you look at the music staff and you memorize every good boy does fine. The problem I've always found with that is if that's how you're teaching your kids, then every single note, the kid has to sit there and go every good boy, every good boy does. And they're not actually committing to the note that this line and this, you know, this is this note, this is. They're always doing that. And with math, if it's difficult, right? You, you really just have to know two plus two equals four. You need to know that two times two equals four and how all that stuff works. What, what strategies and suggestions, uh, Gina, do you have when working with students um, just to kind of get these basic facts in their heads? So one of the biggest first steps for either teachers or parents that are working with their kids is to, to recognize that the way that many of us learned basic facts, like I remember in third grade, we'd memorize the zeros, we take a test, then we move on to the ones, we move on to the twos, the threes, the fours. That ordering is really not the way that children best learn their facts. So um, for example, for addition fact fluency, it's best for kids, once they've started with those um, small, easier facts, like Jenny was saying, one more, one less, it's actually the doubles like I'm guessing your triplets would know what two plus two already is. They might not know the word two plus, but they know that two and two makes four. They know right. that five and five makes 10. Um, and those doubles are some of the easiest facts that kids learn first. And the other main group of what Jenny and I call foundational facts for addition, um, the combinations of 10. So like three plus seven, four plus six. Um, and when kids know their combinations of 10, when they know their doubles, when they know that a teen number is 10 and some more, they can put all those foundational facts together and that's where they start from to be able to drive and use those other strategies. Um, with multiplication, the foundational facts um, that we focus on the most are the twos, fives, and tens. Once kids know those, um, we start working towards multiplication square products like two times two, three times three, four times four, and then all the other facts, they can relate to those foundational ones. So the biggest thing is to start with, um, if you're doing practice, especially for your parent audience, you're doing practice with your kids, there are so many wonderful games that you can play. Even just like war, like a math war, instead of flipping over one card, you flip over two, 
I say my sum, my child says their sum, whoever has the bigger sum takes all the cards. Um, so that's, you're getting just as much fact practice playing a game like that as you would if you're using flashcards, but it's so much more engaging, so much more fun for the kids and so much more meaningful. But the key is to also know which facts to focus on first. You don't want to throw all those facts at the kids at once. Start with the foundational ones, and then you can pull in the other more challenging facts once they're ready. You know, you keep mentioning these games that are found in the book. You guys have more than 42 games that are available for teachers and parents. I keep wanting to say and parents to, to pick up here. You know, one of the things that I find being a tech coach and having the opportunity to go through all the different school classrooms and grade level buildings is teachers find it very hard to teach in a uh, as a homogeneous math class, right? Everybody's there. You've got 25 kids, but everyone's learning at a different style. What advice do you have for teachers that have mainstream kids, advanced kids, and special needs kids all in the same room, and you've got to get the concepts done? What advice do you have for teachers that are sitting there trying to figure out how to do everything for everyone every single day of the week? So the goal in a classroom or with your own children is to raise uh, children who are confident and competent. Those two mm -hmm. things, confident and competent. So you play a game and the game doesn't have a time pressure to it. Uh, so the war example uh, that Gina gave, uh, the one child turns over two cards, the other child turns over two different cards. So they're not competing against each other time-wise and they're able to have think time then to come up with a strategy for solving the fact. Then both, both children talk through, this is how I decided what the sum was. This is how I thought about what the sum was. You, talking aloud about their strategy. Think aloud is a great strategy for struggling students, for gifted students, and um, for everyone. So talking aloud about their strategy, they play this game, and that builds their confidence and competence as they're sharing their own thinking about how they do the math. And in talking about those strategies, they learn them better, and they become, um, with more time, faster and faster at doing their facts. So my advice is play games, talk aloud through the strategies, and really listen to the way kids are thinking because that will help um, not just help the child learn the facts, but also help the teacher know exactly what strategies or facts the child needs more support for. And one of the great things about games as a way of practice when you have a diverse classroom is that you could have some kids that aren't quite ready for all the facts. So their card deck only has zero through five. Um, other children, maybe they're flipping over three cards instead of just two, and they're finding the sum of all three of those add-ins. So everybody can be playing the same game. They're just playing different versions so that all the different groupings have the appropriate challenge that they need at that time. But it isn't the teacher having to come up with five different games. It's just different ways of modifying the same game to make an appropriate challenge for each child. You know, the thing I love about your system and your methods here and all these different games that are available in the book is this is not technology. This is stuff that's been, you know, hundreds of years at this point. We're just putting it all in one amazing book. And of course, we're talking about the new ASCD book called Math Fact Fluency, 60 plus games and assessment tools to support learning and retention. And I want to ask you guys to share with us a little bit about those assessment tools. What can teachers find in here to help make sure that our students are picking up the facts? So when you give a timed test, and there's a score of like 8%, it means virtually nothing. So 
um, what teachers have asked for is if we're not going to do time tests, which really hurt students' confidence and don't give us good data, then what could give us good data? So we have observation tools. For example, Gina talked about the foundational facts. So for addition, the foundational facts might be the um, combinations of 10 and the doubles, just as, as some. So you might have an observation tool that lists those facts. You're watching kids play games and you're walking up to them as they're playing and you're checking off which of those facts they know and which of the facts they don't know per child. So you know exactly for which children um, they need more opportunities to practice certain fact sets. So ultimately they get their foundational facts down and then you move on. Um, there's research to show that that kind of um, mapping which facts a child knows or what a child knows and going from there helps the children move at twice the pace of traditional um, like worksheet assessments. So it helps you as a teacher or you as a parent monitor where the child is and so then you know when they're ready for sort of the next group of facts. You know, I, I, I'm going to keep coming back to this, but I just love the fact that this is not only a great book for teachers, but also for parents as well. And if you guys have any questions about this, all the links that we're talking about, you know, how to purchase the book, all these different things are going to be over on TeacherCast. This is TeacherCast podcast episode number 192. So check out everything over on TeacherCast.net. Do a search for TeacherCast podcast 192. Pick up the book today. Guys, where do we go from here, right? You know, now that we have the book, everybody's going to be loving it. Um, what is the, the, the next step here? Once we read the book, what is that call to action that you hope teachers and parents take? Uh, abandoning time tests would be top of the list. Um, moving away from these worksheets, if you Google uh, basic facts, you'll see hundreds of worksheets that just bring our own very negative emotional reaction to. Mm. That should be replaced with visuals of games, dice games, card games. As you said, all these games are simple. If you have dice and cards, you can play any of these 42 games. Um, and then just being able to monitor and watch how kids are thinking about um, nine plus six or six times seven um, to focus on their thinking instead of how many they're getting right. And that can really um, change kids' lives and how competent and um, how fluent they are with everything that comes after the basic facts. Changing kids' lives, right? That's, that's really what this is all about, helping kids find those things that they're challenged by and help them overcome with it. Um, tell us, uh, you know, if we can kind of, I'll start with Gina here, but, but give me a story from your classroom, something that you've done with a student that, you know, that was that one teachable moment that you felt that little warm and fuzzy and went, wow, this method really works. I see this in this child and now he's able to accomplish his goals. Give me a, give me a nice little warm and fuzzy story here. <laughs> Well, I can tell you um, one of the, the pieces that's near and dear to my heart in the book um, is a routine that I do a lot in different age classrooms called Quick Looks, where I've got different images of dot patterns. A lot of times they're in 10 frames, um, which is like a two by five grid that has dots in it. Um, a lot of teachers in the early grades are probably familiar with 10 frames. Um, and with a quick look, I'll just show it for a couple of seconds and then hide it and then show it again and then hide it. And then we talk about how many we saw and how we saw that. And the reason I absolutely love this routine is that I always hear some different things. <laughs> like I've done them for years and years with first and second graders and they still surprise me with some of the ways that they'll see these images and describe these images. And it's all about developing that 
capacity for, for making sense of that image, um, you know, that visualizing and um, making sense of that image and then being able to talk about how they decompose, which is a really big buzzword that you see in early <laughs> elementary grades, how you can decompose that image. And that's one of my very favorite things to do because I'm, I'm always surprised. And I always learn a lot from them <laughs> whenever I do that routine. Jen, do you have a, a nice warm and fuzzy story? I do. Um, I work at an airman school in Louisville, so I'll share a story from there. Um, we had uh, many students who only had access to counting um, with their addition facts. So counter, counting, counting, counting um, for numbers like, I'll just go back to nine plus six, uh, just counting on. And so we taught them a strategy that um, the research has found to be very effective, which we call pretend a 10. So instead of thinking of nine plus six, you think of um, pretend that nine's a 10. 10 plus 6, 16. Now you remember that you pretended it was a 10, so now you've got to take one off of your answer. And so it isn't 16, it's 15. And so we, we through using quick images and um, teaching the strategy, we taught the children the strategy. So I was working with this one child who was counting for um, 7 plus 6, but she knew 6 plus 6. So she said, I said, well, could you use six plus six to solve seven plus six? And she said, oh, I could pretend the seven plus six was six plus six and add one more. So this is genius. She's taken this idea that we had shared about a 10 and she's applied it now to her love of doubles, her knowledge of doubles, her own strength. And so this is what we want is for children to realize what they know and to build on what they know. And I was able to see her again last week um, six months later, and she's now thinking of like 29 plus six by pretending it's 30 plus six. And so she's taken this idea, the strategy that she learned about basic facts, and now she's using it for um, much more advanced problems. And she herself is feeling confident and competent about her mathematics. We learned a really important strategy that generalizes to other numbers. That is an amazing, amazing story. Um, you know, as I, as I go through the, the, you know, again, my kids are five years. As we go through, we're starting to add, pun intended, add things together for them. It is, it is absolutely amazing to see these students grow and, and, and pick up these different, you know, strategies. And, you know, I, I've got two cookies and plus one cookie equals, right? You know, all these different things. Um, guys, I, I highly recommend it out there. Check out the book here. It's called Math Fact fluency you can find it on ascd amazon and of course we're gonna have all the links over on TeacherCast. uh gina jennifer thank you so much uh for your time today it's a great book i highly recommend everybody checking it out uh, gina where can people learn more about the great work that you're doing um you can search for me uh through western michigan university that's where i'm i'm located excellent and jennifer uh where can we find more about the great things that you're doing well, I'm at the University of Louisville, and so you can Google me as, with a hyphenated last name, Bay Williams. I'm easy to find. I have uh, numerous projects going on and would be happy to hear from anyone. Excellent. And of course, we're going to have all the links to all the things over on TeacherCast.net. This is TeacherCast podcast episode number 192. And of course, as we enter 2019, I want to say thank you guys so much for sticking around with TeacherCast. We've got some great things happening over on our tech coaching network. You can go to askthetechcoach.com. Learn about all of our tech coaching resources and facts and check out our mastermind that we start every single month over on teachercast.net. And of course, if you're looking to create your own podcast in your classroom, you can go over to educationalpodcasting.com.
www.audiobook.today and learn how you can bring audio and video into your classroom. There's, of course, several great ways that you can reach out and be a part of this and all of our shows. You can find us on Twitter at TeacherCast. Leave us a voice message over at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail. And, of course, email us with any questions on feedback at TeacherCast.net. We would love to feature you on our next podcast. And on behalf of everybody here in the TeacherCast Educational Network, my name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you to keep up the great work in your classroom and continue sharing your passions with your students.